0: Podcast listeners, this episode is a special one for me because it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different because typically we talk about talk to a lot of different entrepreneurs, a lot of different uh, people who have been sort of in the in the venture capital world, a lot of different leaders or CEOs of different companies. And this time we're bringing on a, an actor, an actor who's come from an amazing life story, so super unique. He's been through some challenges, but also has one of the greatest hearts and greatest minds that I know, Naveed. Nehaban has been the, uh, an actor in both international and national, you know, United States films. Just to list off a few, let's call it American Sniper, Aladdin, The American Assassin, Sandcastle. He's also starred on uh, Twenty Four Homeland, Mistresses, and so much more. But deeper than just what he's done with his career, he is just one of the most genuinely amazing human beings I have ever interacted with and currently in LA what he's working on is a studio that can actually be like a community center for people to be able to use be creative work on art work on music, work on films. I I just am blown away by his heart and the impact that he's having. So this is just was a super fun episode for me. And I hope everybody enjoys it as well. Navid, thank you so much for being a guest. And I'm just excited for the, the
1: world to get to hear your story.
0: Navid, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. I'm stoked to have you.
1: Thanks for having me, Matt. Thank you so much.
0: I'm glad we've got a decent amount of time. Uh, time scheduled, because of the few people that I I know who are near and dear to your heart, they say you've got quite a few life stories, and so I'm excited to hear a few of those.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. No, it's been a long journey, so uh, here we are. Um, I hope that it's not too noisy. I mean, um, I'm on the flying pad, so uh, you will hear some planes going up and down.
0: Oh, that's okay. You sound great. So if you're willing, do you mind just you know diving into your life story? I know there's a journey, and probably throughout it I'm going to ask some questions, but I'd love just to hear your life story.
1: Well, um, I was born in Mashhad, Iran, and um, it's um, on kind of northeast of the country, closer to the, to the Afghanistan border. Uh, I, I fell in love with acting uh, while I was going to elementary school, I did a school play, and um, the the part was written for a uh, for an, uh, one of the older kids, a uh, fifth grader, and then I was a fir- first grader, and uh, I I was able to convince them that I that this is my part, and um, I never forget when I went on the stage. Um, I just imagine it was a private school. All these people, all the parents, they were dressed in as if they were going to opera and very stiff sitting there. And I walked up on the stage and 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 everybody was moving. I mean, I was they were swaying with my hands. I was going back and forth and they were laughing and uh, they couldn't control themselves. And uh, that was when I it, it was something inside me I felt so I felt like a giant I was an eight-year-old kid who's who's up there and uh, I felt the I felt the power and how how you're able to in change someone's emotion and be um and that was the start of my my journey Then I left um I left Iran um right during the revolution in the middle of the war between Iran and Iraq. I went to Turkey. Um, from Turkey, I, I went to Bulgaria. From Bulgaria, I went to Germany where I applied for asylum. And uh, then um, over there... Do you mind I- if I ask
0: you a quick question about... Uh, yeah. So um, acting in where you grew up, was that considered like similar to somebody starring in a school play here in the united states was it very different i mean what was sort of the cultural dynamics that might have been the similar to what we think about here in the united states versus different was it Yeah, i'd love just to hear a little bit on that
1: well we are talking about um we are talking about back in 60s and um in um it was very similar i mean um we had we had school plays it was the same thing as, as as here what i went to um for example to see my my daughters play here is is the same thing same production value and uh everybody's very excited all the parents are joining forces they make the customs and uh um it was uh, it was no difference I mean, um, there are some pictures of me. Uh, when you look at it, I have pictures when I was four years old, and you might uh,
0: need to put those in the show notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I was you the pictures. I more than happy to send you the pictures, but you will see, for I'm four years old and I'm dressed as a uh, as a cowboy, and um, that was my that was my dream. I mean, uh, we were so influenced by uh, uh, by American films and. Um, the, the movies and uh, the culture uh, the american culture and um, the uh, for example it took me i my dream was to be a cowboy i i grew uh, i grew up uh, dressed as a cowboy always when we when we were going for example if there there was an event gathering or a party um, i was the i was the cowboy and uh 29, 29 years 29 years Years later, in um, in San Diego, I ended up doing live Western shows. So it took me 29 years, but I ended up doing what I wanted.
0: You finally did it.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, so it has been uh, it has been a crazy journey. See, okay, I believe when you're when you're completely open, when you're open to the universe and the gifts that is coming your way and you're open and you're, uh, you're able to receive uh, the universe is giving you tools that um, you don't realize at that given moment, you don't know what what you're being handed to. Um, I, when I was in, during my high school, I had a friend who was deaf. So he took me to, um, he took me to his theater company. It's a deaf theater company. I went there. I fell in love with what the guys were doing, and I started learning pantomime. I started learning mime, and uh, I would go every chance that I got. I would go to uh, I would go to the uh, to the theater company. Now, years later, I'm in Germany. Um, I was uh, I'm. I'm a, I'm this dreamer. I, I was in I, I was in Germany. I applied for asylum. Um, I, I went to the refugee camp. I was in the refugee camp, and after that, I, I was processed and I was sent to Kaiserslautern. Kaiserslautern is one of the one of the cities in the Falls, and it's closer to the France border. Um, and um, I saw an ad that they are doing Sunday in Park with George at the theater company that they had, Rhode Island Falls Theater Company, which is a huge theater company there. And um, the, the director was looking for someone who, um, who can portray George's emotions when he's traveling through the park and he's telling his stories. He needed someone who can uh, convey those emotions through his physicality and facial expressions. And I went on an audition for it and I got the part. Now, I'm a refugee, so I'm not allowed to work. The, um, I didn't have a work permit, I was still being processed. I went to the, um, the Ausländer, to the police department, and I told them I said, I don't, I don't need social health care. I don't need the money that the government is giving me. Please allow me to go and do this play. So I gave up my money, the money that they were giving me, and I said, I'm working. So it's you, you're saving money. Let me go and do the play. Uh, I, got, I, I got the permit. I went and I did the play. And when we were opening, I, every employee from the Auslander Arms, from that police department, they got tickets and they came to see the play.
0: No way! That's was, amazing.
1: No, <laughs> it was an incredible feeling. I'm, I'm there, and these guys, they were there, and they were supporting me, and, and, I did the play, and that was the beginning of my career. Then I was able to join the theater company, and after that, I started doing plays. We were touring around the country with it, and it was magnificent. It was amazing.
0: How and, did you have the? How did you have like the hutzpah about you? Just the awareness to say. Look, I don't care about the money. Screw that. I just want to go to this play, and we'll figure everything out else out. Like, I'm not going to make any assumptions, but I would assume you weren't like gobbles and gobbles and really, really rich at the time. So it's not like you were just giving away the money to charity. But like, what made you think you know what? Screw this. I just want to pursue it. How how did you have like the just the thought around that? That's amazing.
1: See, the thing is that as long as you don't take a chance as as long as you don't um, you don't jump. You will never realize, uh, you will never figure out if you can fly or not.
0: Oh, preach. I'm talking to the right guy on this call. Thank you. <laughs>
1: See, the, thing is, the thing is that we are sitting there, all the no's and negativities and all the impossibilities that's, that you're hearing or you have in your head, they are not your voices. They are um, Every time that you say it's impossible, it's not you saying it's impossible. Is someone else's vo- voice who couldn't do it, and that voice comes into your head and you say, "Oh, it's impossible. I cannot do it. I cannot do it." But why not? Why don't you try? As long as you don't try, you are not going to figure it out. So for me, my entire life has been like that. I traveled. Um, uh, oh my gosh, I <laughs> my journey to Turkey, uh, or I, when I was in when I was in Turkey at that time. Istanbul was like a wild, wild west. I mean, uh, you—it uh, was a crazy environment. All these refugees—they were in Istanbul. You didn't know—you didn't know who you can trust. Um, you would, um, when you were walking outside, you had to really protect everything that you had, and uh, because you knew that it's not going to—you uh, knew that everybody's there to get you. And uh, for example, I remember in Turkey, I was sleeping, uh, because I was saving my money, I, uh, I left Iran with my own money. I was painting houses and I was uh, remodeling houses and uh, um, I put some money together and I left Iran with uh, $1,500 in my pocket. I remember when I was leaving, my dad told me, oh, you're going to be back in six months. And that um, there's been over 35 years. So I left, and I um, through my through this journey, I was trying to save my money. So the the room that I got in Turkey, it was a toilet in the middle of the in the middle of the um, hotel lobby, and they put a they put a board on the uh, on the floor to cover because the toilets um, in Turkey at that time they were the holes in the ground. So they covered the toilet with a board. I had no window. And when I was going into the room, I had, to, um, I had to put my suitcase on the top of the bed in order to be able to open the door. And then close the door, put my suitcase behind the door in order to be able to sleep on the bed. So that's, that, was the, that was the journey. And it was every day. It was like, okay, what's next? Let me see. Let me see what's next, what can I do next? What can I do next? And that has been that has been my journey.
0: So that's that's something that like you stop and think, man, my environment sucks. like it's not like you're living luxuriously or it's not like you're uh, exactly where you want to be, but at the same time, like I'm sure you didn't have your moments, but at the same time, you're still thinking about what's next. How can I get out of this? How can I improve? How can I get better? I mean, um,
1: yes and no. Yes, okay. and no. because
0: know. Yeah, dive in. I'd love to hear more.
1: Okay. Uh, yes and no. First of all, uh, one of the things that my mom always used to tell me, every time I was frustrated, every time that I said, oof, I'm tired, my mom says, son, God is testing you. So this is just a test. It is testing you to see how strong you are. I mean, that's how I grew up and um i had to always take care of um i was the oldest son i had to um i had to always take care of myself take care of my siblings and um if if i was in this hard situation i never i had a i had a destination i had a goal but i enjoy that moment See, for example, fast forward. I'm so sorry. This is how I'm talking. I'm jumping back and forth. Please, for you're me. good. I,
0: I'm loving every minute of it. Okay. You're good. No worries at all.
1: When I was in Germany, it was a school. It was an acting school, which was 30 kilometers from from where I was living from Kaiserslautern. So it was a uh, it was a modeling and film uh, and commercial. It was teaching you how to do commercials and film, and I was I I was crazy. I was 20 year old kid, and I just wanted to do that. So I had, an, I had an old bicycle. I would ride my bicycle sometimes for 30-kilometer to go there. And at nights, when I was coming back, sometimes the class would run late and I would miss my train. So it was no train to jump on it. And if it was kind of cold or it was difficult, I mean, in the middle of the night, just imagine at 12 o'clock uh, midnight, you don't want to ride 30 kilometers on your bike. So um, next to the training station, it was a um, – it was a bridge, and um, that bridge had a, from the base of the bridge, you go up, then it had a small pocket, like a small awning underneath. I would pull my bicycle up there. I would go under the bridge. I would sit there, and all the all the cars that they were passing by, all the noises, and uh, if I would see a light, if I see a movement, what I was visualizing is that I am this pioneer i'm this guy who is in the middle of the forest and all these animals are going around and now i'm surviving that surviving the journey and i will build this fantasy worlds for myself and i'm living in them so i was the 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 hero i was, I was the guy i was the guy who's surviving all these and i knew that the morning will come that's how i survived that and that has been always my journey. It's not about um, it's not about what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if I'm alive tomorrow or not. Then let me enjoy today. Tomorrow, I will deal with tomorrow.
0: <laughs> That's a good word. So um, I want to come back. I want I want you to keep sharing keep sharing your story. But I, I'm going to make a note. I want to come back to that sort of the pioneer mentality and in, in, in creating that sort of fantasy world we're gonna come back to that i sure. want to keep hearing keep hearing your story and and diving deep into that i but I, at some point we're gonna we're gonna dive into that because i have some questions along that too okay yeah keep so um hearing from basically you're in Turkey and you you were diving in and sharing about your uh, your experience living in the in it sounded like an apartment or the place that you live so what what happened next what what from there you know where where did the, where did the story go
1: so I was uh, during that time I was there and I was just trying to find a way in Turkey I was just trying to find a way to get out of out of that region and just to come out I didn't want to go back I didn't want to go back to Iran so um, I was there. I applied for a visa. I couldn't get a visa from anywhere. No, nowhere was giving me a visa. No country was giving me a visa. And then uh, I had when I was in Iran, I was working uh, for a. uh, I was working for a for a company um, like a a, during high school import export company, and they had a sister. uh, They had a mother company in Germany, and then I I was able to get a visa to go to. To Germany and when I went to Germany uh, that's that's when I applied for for asylum my see my situation was that I could never keep my mouth shut even when I was in Iran so I was always in trouble I was always uh, I was always being uh, being questioned uh, I was always being pulled in the principal's office uh, I would get suspended from school just because some of the things that I was seeing um, to me it wasn't fair it was like that uh, the group of people who are coming and um, they're using uh, they're using the uh, others' belief system to manipulate them and to take advantage of them uh, and to benefit from it. So for me, I would always stand up and I would always speak up. And I would we I would have riots in the school and I would kind of uh, I was always the guy who was standing in the front. And, um, and I had to leave, I had to leave because I, I was being suffocated. I, I couldn't be there. And, um, and in Germany, I remember, um, the very first place that I got, when I got there, um, before, before I applied for asylum, it was a, it was a basement of a warehouse and, um, somebody, Wanted they wanted to clean up the um this this basement and kind of clean it up and fix it. And um, I said, I can do it if you let me sleep in it. And um, I remember I had to put newspapers on the floor, on the top of the newspapers, a plastic bag, and then on the top of the plastic bag with my sleeping bag because the floor was so moist and so wet that I didn't want the moisture to get into me, uh, to me. So I had to, I had to cover the floor and then um, protect myself. And, and that's how I started in Germany. And then um, all the doors, they were closed. There was no other way for me. My, my visa was running out. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't renew my visa. And finally, I went there and I said, guys, I, I cannot go back. This is my situation. This was happening, and um, and I applied for the asylum and I stayed there.
0: So, at laying on a cold, wet floor in a double-wrapped sleeping bag, what were you? What was the? What were you thinking about in the sense of like? Where did you want to go with your life? Did you have an idea of who you wanted to be or who you were becoming? I mean, what, what was sort of going through your head, even in sort of the, the, the midst of the, probably the cold, sleepless nights?
1: Uh, oh, what's next? What's next? I mean, there's there something else that's coming. I knew that something else is coming. And I was always, um, since I was a kid, I was very curious I was very curious about, um, about to learn new things, to learn something that I haven't done before. I mean, that, that has been my entire life has been like that. And I was like a, a do-it-yourself guy. And, um, and I knew that um, I didn't want to have any bridges behind me. I just want to move forward. I never want to go backwards. So um, even in Germany, it was, I was six months short of getting my German passport when I left and I came to America. And everybody was telling me, why don't you wait here and get your, get your uh, passport and then leave? And um, I, I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to have a safety net. I didn't want to have a way to go back. Um, it it was just one way to go It's a tightrope you're walking on it and you just keep moving forward and without the safety net you're more you're more um, uh, your senses are sharper you are you're you're awake you you know that okay I cannot make it. but this is what it is I have to go and um, I don't know if I answered your question that's that has been that has been the journey
0: no, you did. It was perfect to answer the question. Yeah. So from, from basically getting, having to wait to get your passport in Germany, what happened next?
1: Um, so I, um, it was good in Germany. I started, um,
0: uh, Oh, by the way, is all of this travel, are you pretty much doing it by yourself?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I left it on. I, I turned 20 and I left and, um, and um see okay this is again we are going back to the universe and the gifts that they are giving you okay i love
0: it i love um,
1: it okay i <laughs> about about a year and a half before i left iran my uh, my parents they had a small fruit garden like, a, like an orchard and my dad was telling me on the weekends why don't you go and oversee the workers Just go over there and check them out and see if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And um, I tell them, me working in the garden? No, I don't want to do that. On the weekends, I would go and climb mountains. I I would go and with my friends. We would hike the mountains. We would climb mountains. I would go up and just uh, find a cottage or place and stay there for a weekend. And um, then a friend of mine was telling me, um, I have a private teacher who's teaching me German. Um, I just need someone to practice with, and nobody speaks German. He was a very good friend of mine. Why don't you come and take the classes? I'm already paying for them. So I have someone to, who I can practice with. I said, what is it? Achtung, Achtung. I don't like this language. I don't want to learn, uh, learn German. Fast forward. The very first country that I was able to go to, and I ended up in, was Germany. It took me six months to be able to have a conversation with people and learn the language. And the very first job that I got that it was helping me after I got the theater part and all those things, then, then I was looking for a job to, uh, to make some money. The very first job that I got was landscaping. Do you know how many rose bushes I killed before I learned how to trim them?
0: I, I I got a quick funny story for you on that note. My very first, uh, my very first business, I, I owned a quote unquote landscaping and lawn care company. I mowed probably 25 lawns before I knew how to mow a lawn. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if I was the greatest scam artist in the world because people paid me to do it, but I, I can just remember the very first lawn I mowed and it was horrendous. So that was the beginning of my sort of career. So I can totally relate to that.
1: <laughs> so that's what, well, see, the thing is that we go, what all the hardships that we are going through, if you look at them as the, a as hardship, if you look at them as an obstacle, it will destroy us. But if you look at them as a tool that is given to you, as um, as another wrench in your toolbox, is something that you are learning through this obstacle. Every hardship it teaches you something, and later on you can use it. Right now, most of the characters that I'm playing in my head, all my journey plays. I mean, it's fascinating. I sometimes I sit and I and I think about it, and I my friends they look at me they think I'm crazy because I start laughing without control, without being able to control myself and they say what is this I say, oh no 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 I, I just remember I just remember I did that. So it is good. So for me every second is a every second is a gift. It's is just beautiful. I, I, I don't know. I mean for me every every person who crossed my path became my teacher. I learned something from them, and um, that has helped me to be where I am right now. Um, I um, and I'm I, my thing is that I'm not patient enough. I, I'm there is a if I ask someone to do something, if the person it takes um, uh, if the person is not doing it when they are supposed to be doing it, and it, it, they keep dragging it, I say, okay, fine. I will do it myself. And um, that's how I learned how to sew. And that helped me later on to be able to work as a designer, as a clothing designer. Most of the stuff that you see, for example, I'm wearing on the red carpet and all my pictures, they're all my own designs. My, I have a tailor. I, I, I get it done. I find a fabric. I put it together. I do have some brands that they ask me to wear them but most of the stuff are mine. And um, that, when I was a kid, I, I kept asking my mom to hem my pants. And um, uh, she was saying, okay, I will do it. Okay, I will do it. Okay, I will do it. And finally, one day, I pulled her sewing machine out and I said, at the sewing machine. I said, okay, I will, I will do it myself. God knows how many needles I broke. <laughs> until I was able to hem my pants. And after that, I kept using her sewing machine and finally she ended up getting me an old sewing machine, a singer, an old black singer. I never forget that machine. And I started, I I mean, I I wasn't the kid who would go outside, I, I I was fascinated by that machine. I was sitting there and I said, oh my God, I can make clothes that nobody else has it. So I would go and I would go and um, buy, go to the secondhand store, buy clothes, the torn stuff, bring it home, change everything, and make myself a pair of pants. That, for example, um, the front of the pants is leather, the back is jeans, the pockets of, uh, are leather, and I would take a pants, jean um, pants, and I turn it into a jacket and. Uh, I would go out, so I was the guy who was wearing clothes that nobody else had it. And my friends, they started bringing their clothes to me, and they were asking me to um, to to change it, to to fix it for them. So the corner of my room was filled. What I had a pile of clothes that everybody brought for me for me to fix it. So that's fast forward almost twenty. 20 years later 22 years later I'm I'm doing a runway modeling and then I'm being approached and I am talking to somebody who owns a, a clothing company and ask me to go and work for him and then I end up going there and I had to convince him to let me to design and he he was telling me oh I work with a very famous designers so I, I that's uh, you have to be trained. I said, okay, fine. So I, I went and I did my own, I did a design for my own uh, slacks, pants. I found a tailor. I made those. I wore them to work. So now imagine I'm working. I'm working in this building that every brand has a store there is like a wholesaler department and all the brands, all the famous European designers are there in this building. Now I'm walking around wearing these pants and everybody's coming and asking me, oh, what brand is this? Where did you get this? What is this? And the moment that he saw the people are are asking like that, he says, okay, maybe I can give it a try. We we will do it. We will do a production on that. And that's how I, I got into design.
0: I love that. I love how it started as such a young kid sewing just because just because you were impatient because your mom wasn't doing it and all of a sudden you uh, created a, a run, uh, something that could be seen across the world. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's such a good story. So how much design are you doing today?
1: Uh, not as much as I would love to. I'm, um, my, right now I'm just doing my own stuff. Um, I, um, uh, I do my own. I do my. I do my own suits, and um, I have an amazing tailor who I'm working with, Serge, who used to do all my costumes, also for Legion, and um, and um, it's fascinating. We go there, I'm like two kids. We are sitting there, and I do the drawings, and, then, and go back and forth. And he's uh, he's one of the most patient and amazing tailors that I've ever worked with. And uh, we get it done. So that's what I do. I just do my own clothes.
0: I love that. I love that. So you were uh, you were starting some landscaping jobs, and what what happened after the frustration of chopping so many uh, rosebuds before you became a landscaper?
1: <laughs> oh, uh, then um, I was. Um, it was good, but the money wasn't that, uh, that good. And then in the winter, I didn't have a job. Um, uh, I used to live in and Kaiselauten was close to Ramstein and Way And that's where the military bases were, uh, US military bases were at that time. And um, it, was a, uh, it was a restaurant, um, which was a, um, it was very busy and they had a beer garden. The beer garden was always packed. And I knew a couple of people who were working there, and they were making very good money just on tips. Uh, I went to a restaurant, and I asked for a job. They said, oh, um, we take only trained waiters. I said, yeah, but you need someone to clean up the table and all those things. They say, yeah, well, we, we don't have money. We don't pay. Uh, we, uh, our waiters are cleaning up. I said, okay, how about if I do this? I will come, and I will work for tip and percentage. Whatever I sell, I get 10%. And I keep the tip. You don't need to pay me. The owner was looking, ah, okay, fine. You can come and try it for a weekend. So I went over there and um, I started working the first day. and It was just me working for free, nothing. I didn't get anything. I didn't know my way around the kitchen. I didn't know my way around the menu. I didn't know what I'm doing. Then I stood there and I started watching. It was a waiter. His name was Juan. He was a head waiter, and um, this guy could fillet the fish beautifully. I mean, it was one of the fastest waiters that I've ever seen. And I would stand back, and I would watch him, and I would always try to clean up his table and because I was listening, how he's talking to the people, how he's dealing with them. And um, then I started working, and um, so I did that for two weeks, and then uh, they came and they told me, "Oh, uh, we have some events coming in. Do you want to um, do you want to work on the events and instead of having a table? Just work the event. I said, "Sure, I would love to do that." So I started doing that, and then i ended up I ended up running the beer garden for them, the bar and the beer garden. And that was when uh, <laughs> when Tom Cruise's movie Cocktail came out. <laughs> Oh, uh, we were standing out there we were crazy I mean that movie changed our lives <laughs> uh, th- there were bottles that they would, uh, we would break just to be able to flip the bottle and, um, and that, was, um, that was so I was doing that and then uh, the theater and um, I was doing my runway modeling and um, I did a couple commercials and after that, I ended up in uh, Frankfurt to work for that clothing company, and um, and that was it. It was good. I ended up running uh, running the wholesaler department, and managing the whole company. Uh, before I left, before I left, I, I had a portion of the company, I had a portion of the store, um, percentage of that, and um, then I also then I. It was like a wake-up call. I woke up, and I said, I didn't come here to be a businessman. I didn't come here to to be a designer. I wanted to be an actor. So um, in the matter of six months, I trained a couple of people to take over my job. The owner of the company was telling me, what, are you crazy? What, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the company, and you're living." I said, "Yeah, but it's not me. It's not for me." So, um, so I left and I came, I came to the US. And when I got here, it was um, it was kind of crazy. It was like starting from zero again. I couldn't speak English. I um, I came here and um, I was kind of lost. I mean, the first six months, I would every night I would get up and I said, "What?" the hell did I do? I mean, I I have to go back. I have to go back. And then I would say, Oh, just one more week, one more week. Let's see what's going to happen. One more week. Just be patient. One more week, one more week. And it has been over 20, 27 years. It's still one more week. Let's see what's going to (laughs) happen.
0: All you got is one more week. See how it works (laughs) and figure out next week. So, so 20, you said 27 years is how long you've been here?
1: Uh, yeah, I got here back in '93. I mean, the first ten years was very difficult. I um, I remember the very first job that I got here. I was washing cars for dollar fifty an hour. Just imagine, I'm driving a Mercedes Benz that is paid by the company. All my expenses are paid. All my um, dining is paid. I get um, I, basically I get paid for looking good, dressing well, and um, walking around and entertaining people and selling merchandises. Then I came here, and um, now I'm washing cars for $1.50 an hour. In the morning, I go, I jump on the back of this van, and that has a pump, and it has a tank in the back. Uh, We go to the offices, and all these employees are bringing their cars, and we are washing the cars, and I'm getting paid $1.50 an hour plus tip.
0: Isn't that what the American dream is, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was looking The white
0: <laughs> the white picket fence everybody talks about.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. So that no,
1: was, go was good. That was good then. Um, I'm I'm I talking too much? I'm talking.
0: No, you're not you're not talking, you're not <laughs> talking enough at all. This is so good. So yeah. from so from washing cars, then then obviously the, the, the acting career began to, began to uh, gain some traction. What, what, what was after after washing cars and truly living the American dream?
1: Well, after washing cars, uh, a friend of mine was telling me that um, the, you, can, you can drive a cab. You can rent a cab, drive a cab, and it would be okay. Uh, or you can drive a shuttle shuttle at the airport. I so oh, okay, I can do a shuttle, why not? Uh, so I went for an interview with this company and <laughs> the guy who was interviewing me, uh, was a speaking Farsi. He was an Iranian guy. So we sat there and we talked about it. He says, do you know the city? I said, yeah, sure. No problem. Um, can you read the map? I said, of course. How difficult is it to read the map? Not a problem. He says, okay, why did you come tomorrow? And you're going to be, um, uh, one of our drivers will take you out there. He will train you and then you can have the car. I said, oh, fantastic. Uh, so I went, I went there, and um, just imagine, I wasn't all I knew. Hello, how are you? Very good, thank you. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Nabit Negahpour. Yes, very good, very good, thank you. So that was my English, very limited. Okay, and um, the guy sitting there, and he had this heavy Southern accent, and he was speaking and rolling his. His tongue and I you're saying you gotta you gotta I say yes 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 thank you yes yes so I went the first day I picked up the car and I went to the airport somebody's coming and saying I want to go downtown I say yes thank you please come I get them in the next person comes and says oh I want I want to go to um, um um oceanside I say yes please come in and the other one comes and says I want to go to Chula Vista I say yeah thank you so much please come in and the other guy comes and says, I want to go to Mira Mesa. I say, yes, yes, thank you. I got seven passengers in my van in a matter of no time. God, <laughs> oh, All you got to do
0: is say please and thank you.
1: <laughs> I said, oh, my God, this is amazing. Fantastic. I came out of the airport. You ha- now you have to call the dispatcher and tell the dispatcher where you are going. So I'm calling the dispatcher. Again, the guy is speaking Farsi, and I'm telling him, I said oh, my I- it's a fantastic day. I don't know what happened. I'm going to downtown. I'm going to Chula Vista. I'm going to uh, Oceanside. I'm, I'm, going to Clare, I'm going to Claremont. He says, "Stop! Stop! Just pull over. Just pull over in the first parking lot. Pull over." I said, "What? Wh- what do you mean?" He says, "Just pull over." So okay. He says, "I'm sending you cars." All of a sudden, I see that there are four different cars from our company. It's sitting right there, and they're coming in, and they're transferring the passengers. And I'm pissed and angry. This is my passenger. Why are you taking the passengers out of my car? And I realized that one is going south, one is going east, one is going north, <laughs> one is going northeast. So I picked everybody up together, I w- <laughs> and, and I ended up with downtown only for $5. I went over there. And then I came back to the, to the lot, and each of the guys gave me $5. I said, oh, that's great. I just went downtown, and I came back, and I, I made about $30. And I, I paid maybe $2 on gas. That's a, good, that's a good way to do it. So I would go to the airport. I would swing at the airport. I would pick up passengers. I would load everybody. I would bring it out, and I would share it with the other drivers. Then I would go back to the parking lot, Go back in, pick up passengers, share it again with the, with the other drivers. So I was a guy who was making money just by sitting at the airport, going through the parking lot, coming back out, and going back in. I, I, it's not. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not a good job. <laughs> it might no, might not it. might not pass the old company policy, <laughs> but. <laughs> but it was it was good. And after that, I started doing it. I, the funny thing is that I had the the supervisor of the airport. Her name was Rose. I never forget this woman. She would run after me. She would run after me with her booklet, ticket booklet. She would run after me because she wanted to catch me and write me a ticket. I had so many tickets at the airport. And I was saying, these passengers, they need to get home. They don't have to wait for a car. I'm here. I will take him. Later on, one of the first movies... One of the very first movies that I produced and I worked on it. Rose gave me the permission to shoot the movie at the airport. <laughs> we got everyone there. I had. I had. Um, I had police officers who are still writing to me. Sometimes when they see my work, they write to me. They bring up those memories and they talk about it. And they tell me, oh, do you remember, Rose? We always knew that's not you. You are not the driver. You are just passing through. And uh, we had fun. I met tons of good friends. I'm, I'm hey, Rose, amazing. you
0: need some uh, You need some royalties on this movie for a few, uh, let me go off of a couple of tickets or something like that. <laughs>
1: I was, I, I, we had fun. It was amazing journey. (laughs)
0: That's so good. So, so what was the first, uh, what was the first movie you felt like you had, or maybe, maybe it doesn't even have to be a movie, but what was the first one you really felt like you had some creative control over? Cause I, you know, the way I picture, uh, you know, sort of the acting would be people who work long hard hours to get a small part and work their way up the ranks until they get a bigger part, and a bigger part, and a bigger part. And so, what sort, of, like for you, what was the, the the moment that like you really had the ability to have some some creativity to 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 the part you were playing, or the idea on a scene, or whatever that might have been?
1: Well, uh, my my very uh, uh, let me tell you, my very first break. See, I wasn't able to get jobs here. I was doing live western shows in San Diego. And that's how I was satisfying my, uh, um, my hunger for acting. And um, then I was, um, that's another story. I was asked to leave the college and never come back. I left the college and I went and I- Hold on, hold
0: on, hold on. Don't, don't skip over that too quickly. (laughs) Come on, we need, we need, we need to hear that story. That's, that's not a, that's not a brush it under the rug sort of story.
1: (laughs) All right. I, um, Okay, I was a working actor in Germany. Then I came here, and I wanted to learn the American techniques, American style of acting. What is it? What is what is about uh, American actors, who, the way that they are working? So what is it? So I went to – I went, signed up for college. I went and I joined a program, two-year program. I thought, okay, I will go to college, and I will study for it. And um, the professor, uh, his philosophy was that um, – When you have a scene, you have a super objective. So you drive and you manipulate the situation at every given moment to reach your goal, reach your super objective. It means that you're planning everything along the way. And every step that you're taking, that is an objective that leads you to get to your super objective. And super objective is the end of the scene. So... For me, that I couldn't, I couldn't get it. It wasn't, it wasn't the way that I would. It wasn't the way that you would do it. You don't know. You don't know how your day goes. Your whole day is filled with uh, surprises. How can you be real if you are planning everything and if you think that you can control everything because you are not in control? The circumstances, the situation. There are so many other elements. in your life that they have an impact on you and your circumstances and your situation. So you are not in control. You just need to play along and you need to maneuver through all these obstacles. So, uh, two of the kids, uh, they were supposed to do a scene for our finals and, um, I went to school and I saw that they are sitting, they are arguing with each other. I said, what's happening? What's going on? They say, yeah, uh, we're trying to get this thing, but we don't understand it. We don't get it. We cannot get to where we need to go. We cannot find our super objective. I said, this morning when you woke up to come to college and to school, did you know that you're going to be having this conversation with me? He said, no. I said, what did you know this morning? He said, I I knew that I have to go to school and uh, we have the finals. I said, okay, so you guys came to the school. You didn't know that you will have this conversation with me. That's exactly like your scene that you have. What you are trying to do, you are trying to get to the ending, but you don't know where you are starting. So the way that you have to do it is that the beginning of the scene is your super objective, not the ending of the scene, because you know where you are starting. So improvise five minutes before that in your head. Then start the scene because you know the beginning. So start the beginning and wherever it ends up, that's where you need to end up. So they went. Everybody's sitting in an auditorium and they uh, they did the piece. The professor stood up and he started applauding. Magnificent. Beautiful. Now explain how you got there. I said, oh shit, oh shit, I'm in trouble. (laughs) That's where you
0: subtly sit a little bit further down in your seat and hope that the lights get dark.
1: I covered my face. I went down. And my friend Lorenzo, who is still to this day, to this day, he is a close friend of mine, and he's actually one of the people, one of the first people who donated on the campaign for the center, and he wants to come and help. Lorenzo said, well, um, Maestro, we couldn't get, um, we couldn't understand how to get to the end of the scene, find our super objectives. And we talked to Navid, and Navid told us that the super objective is not the ending of the scene. Super objective is the beginning of the scene. And that's what we did it, and this is how we are. We just went and improvised every moment, and we got here. And you should have seen the look. I wish you could have seen that look. He was applauding, and then he looked down from the corner of his eyes, and he looked at me, and his smile turned so ice cold that I could feel (laughs) the knife going through my heart, and tearing me open. And after it was done, he pulled me outside. He put his arms around my shoulder, and he said, I want you to leave my theater and never come back. And if you ever become famous, I don't want to hear about it. So I said, "Okay, thank you." I know. <laughs> the, fact
0: that he, the fact that he made the comment, "If you ever become famous," it's like he sort of knew it was going to happen.
1: <laughs> now, now let me make the point. He was the best thing that happened in my uh, to me. I oh, will so tell you why. Fast forward, we are going back and forth. Fast forward, I did Homeland, and I was um, the show was winning Emmys and all those things, and all of a sudden, I got a message from him. Through a friend of mine, that I've been watching your work. You have done a magnificent. Uh, you have ha- you have had a magnificent cr- career. I love what you are doing with Abu Nazir. Keep up the good work, and keep me posted about your upcoming projects. I said, okay. I I, I was trying to come to terms with uh, with myself. Should I should I write back to him, or should not I write back? I anyway, it was crazy in my head. And finally, it took me about six months, and I decided to write back to him. And say thank you and say if it wasn't because of you I wouldn't have been here and then I asked a friend of mine if he can give me his the professor's email address and he said "Navi, you don't know he passed away I said what He said, yeah it's his memorial service if do you want to go I said yeah sure I will go there I went there and then they they asked me if I want to say something I said sure I will speak and um, all the, other, all the other students, his students, they went up. They said, Oh, yeah, we were, we were broke when we came here. He, uh, he handed us uh, cash so we can go buy food. The other one said, I didn't have a place to sleep. He took me to his house and his wife cooked for me and I slept on his, uh, on his couch. And the other one was telling me, Oh, I didn't have a car. He let me borrow his car if I needed to go somewhere. And I went up there and I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I don't know, guys. I don't know who the fuck you're talking about. This is not the guy who I knew. I mean, I hated this guy for a while. But then I realized if it wasn't because of him, I wouldn't have been here. So I'm very grateful for what he has done. But at that given moment, I really hated him. And then his wife stood up. And the wife told me, Navid, do you know that he recorded all your work? And every time you were on screen, he would call me and says come come he's on and then i had to sit down and watch the show with him and he would say oh look look what he's doing ah uh, yeah yeah here oh he's right he was right and i think that was the biggest gift that was given to me along the way because after that i left i auditioned for a movie called boundaries which um, they were looking for a mute trombonist. And I went for audition. I didn't even know what trombone looks like. I went to Mesa College to the music department, and I asked the guys to show me how to play with the trombone, how to make sound with the trombone. So I went to the audition. I walked in. I saw that everybody has their trombone cases there. They are checking their spit valves, and everybody's sitting there. And I said, am I, what am I doing here? I said, "Well, you're here. Why not? Let's go and try it." I went there and I did the audition. And after that, I got a call from the director. And the director told me, um, "You know, we are looking for someone like Charles Chaplin, Buster Keaton, someone shorter. And you're too tall, and you're kind of um, you're too good looking for the part." I said, "Give me a chance. Let me come back. Let me come come back for a, um, um, and we do one more time." He said, okay, come, I have a callback. I'm bringing a couple of the actors. You can come in and uh, do the callback. I said, okay, fantastic. I jumped, I went to the second-hand store. I bought one of those tail frogs, the tuxedos that has a tail. I bought one of those. I bought a vest, and um, then I went and I did, um, I created a bow tie for myself, and I took the tuxedo outside on the um, the asphalt in front of my, My house. I run it on the ground uh, into the ground. I uh, I tore all the color and I tore the fabric. I made it look very old and raggedy, and uh, I had a shoebox. I turned. I I did a straw hat out of the shoebox. I bought a a paint spray. I sprayed it black, and um, and then I had a very baggy pants. I wore the baggy pants. And in the baggy pants, if you bend your knees. And you are walking straight. It doesn't. It doesn't look. Uh, it doesn't look like you have bent your knees. So you you become shorter. So I dressed like that and I went back to the audition. I went to the callback. He opened the door. He looked at me, and right at that moment, I knew that I had the part. I got the part. That film. It took us two years to finish it. It went to Slamdance, won the Grand Jury at Slamdance. I was nominated for Best Actor in it at the Method Fest. The film came to Egyptian Theater, was screened at the Egyptian Theater in Los Angeles, and that was the beginning of my career. And that was in 2000. My career started basically in 2003. So um, and it has been, it's been an interesting journey. But um, that film... Uh, my gosh! I had to shoot in that film. I had to, um, I had to make the costumes. I uh, I was the stunt coordinator. I was doing. Um, I was using my car uh, carrying equipment. I, uh, I was. I did everything on that film with him. I mean, I've got.
0: I, a, I've got a serious question for you, real quick. Yes. Uh, so you're, you needed to make yourself look a little bit shorter, right? Some baggy uh-huh. pants. Um, I'm five foot three, five foot four. You got anything to make you look a little taller or anything like that? Any, any t- tips or trades? <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> I just, no. I just talk really loud and walk around with my, my chest pumped out. Just to make myself look a little taller, but it sounds like you got the opposite problem.
1: <laughs> no, it's good. no, it's very easy. There are shoes with the heels inside it.
0: I wear a lot of black, You're right? Black. All, all black.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. would so. oh,
0: That's good. So out of uh, out of all the shows that you've produced, the classic question, I'm sure you've been asked a hundred times. I'm not going to ask it. The classic question is, what's your favorite film? Right. One of my what, what I want to ask, though, is what's the film that you feel like you played the part the best or you're the most proud of your particular work? And that doesn't necessarily have to be anything major film related. It could have been throughout the course of your entire career.
1: Well, I cannot. Um, I cannot. It's like uh, you're asking me to choose between um, my between uh, my babies, between my kids. But um, <laughs> gotta ask tough toughest, questions, right?
0: <laughs>
1: the toughest, the toughest job that I've ever done in my life. The toughest character that I've ever played, and um, and I'm um, I'm hunted by that character. And uh, I'm proud of that, was uh, The Stoning of Suraya? The character that I'm playing, it was one of the toughest characters. I remember my mom called me from Iran, and she was crying on the phone. I said, Mom, why are you watching this? Uh, what, what's happening? She said, I was watching Stoning of Suraya." I said, why are you watching that movie? That movie is not for you. She said, no, 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 I'm not crying because of the movie. I'm crying because... I know what you had to put yourself through to play that role, and I yeah. see you struggling and suffering underneath. And that was the biggest compliment. There, there have been, there have been, there have been many roles, life, uh, life-changing characters that I have played. I mean, Abu Nazir of Homeland. It was a, it was a pivotal character in my life. It, it changed, um, it changed my life, and. Uh, um, I'm very proud of that character, and the um, the 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 project that really gave me that validation, indirect validation that I needed, and it made me to. I, I knew that I'm, I, okay, please forgive me. I'm not I'm not full of myself. I'm not arrogant. I'm I'm very honest and truthful. I know what I can do and what I cannot do, and. Um, I'm um, I'm happy with the things that I know. I'm I can do good. I'm, I'm I'm I do them well. I mean, there are things that I that I know how to do them. I, I never got a part. I never took a character, took a part. If I knew that there is someone else out there who can do a better job than I do, there were parts that I walked away and said, "I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm sure that somebody else can do can do this part better than me." But uh, the, the project that really gave me that um, kind of validation was Charlie Wilson's War. I remember we were doing the, we were working on the project and um, Mike Nichols was directing it. I was so excited that I'm working with him. It was I'm with him, with Tom Hanks and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And uh, oh my gosh, I was, I, I was in heaven. I was coming, I'm working with all these legends. And um, I remember we had a scene that uh, we were struggling to discover um, the, the movement and uh, uh, I, I was standing there in the corner and they were, tr- they were trying to figure out the camera movement and how to take the shot. So uh, we were running out of time. They wanted to combine the shots and they were always taking They were saying, no, we have to do a take here. We have to do a cut there. And I was standing in the corner. And I just kind of raised my hand like a little kid from the back of the class. And um, I said, may I suggest something? And um, Mike said, yeah, what is it? Uh, I said, yeah, but, uh, well, and it's not me standing up and having this conversation. So you have to do a cut. Uh, He's in the bed and I'm supposed to be taking care of him. Uh, and I'm responsible for him. So organically, uh, when I walk in, I'm not going to stand above him. I will kneel down and I will sit at the same level so I can look into his eyes instead of him looking up. So probably I will come in and I will sit down. So if you are on him and you forget about my entrance, when I come in and I sit down, that is a moment that I have my moment with Tom. We are sitting and we are having a conversation and you can do just one take. Uh, without cutting it Mike looked around and looked up and says well it's over a hundred years of experience Combined experience here in this room and we have this This newbie coming and telling us what to do and everybody starts laughing and he says So what are you guys waiting? Why don't you set it up set it up the way that he said it and he walked away and after that for the entire shoot, Mike took me with him. When we were on the camera, when we were behind the camera, he um, he always brought me in to the video village. He showed me the shots and said, "So what do you think? So what is it? Oh, this is this is a shot that I'm getting. So how do you feel about this shot?" He um, he kind of mentored me during that. During that movie, and it was an it was an amazing, amazing experience. I mean, I would I would go to the set even the days that I wasn't working just to be behind him and just watch him and learn from him. And Tom was uh, so generous and with uh, with his time. This man, he would walk around uh, around the set, and every background who's coming and talking to him, he would spend time with them. He would introduce himself. They would come, they would come, oh my God, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth, he says, hi, I'm Tom. It it was so humbling. It was unbelievable. And he saw me walking around because most of the actors' backgrounds, they were Afghans, and I I was also helping them to translate. So I would walk around, I would hug the guys, I would hug everyone, I would kiss them on the cheeks. And my last day of the shoot, when I was finished, it was my last scene was with Tom and he came up and he hugged me and he kissed me on my both cheeks and I said that's how you do it yeah and uh, <laughs> that was so good that was a moment that man it was, it, it was an incredible incredible experience and uh, it kind of um it kind of helped me see things about myself that I didn't know is that
0: it's amazing. Uh would have been funny if you would have been like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. uh, <laughs>
0: that's good. So on that note, I just I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about just Hollywood in general, but I just do have one question and answer it however you'd like. What what's the outside world who, who hears the stories about Hollywood, what would you say is absolutely spot on that the general public just assumes, and it is true. And what would you say is completely different? And I would say you sort of alluded to one, like you think Hollywood actors are all, you know, big wig stars and they don't want to talk to anybody and they're not friendly. I talk to you and that changes everything. I talk to somebody like Nilly that changes everything. I, talk, I hear your story about Tom Hanks that changes everything, but what would be like One sort of, yep, that's exactly how Hollywood really is for the most part. And then, what would be one that's like, yeah, the outside public it it doesn't quite get it, or it's a little bit different than what they think.
1: Um, The first one is uh, the outside, uh, uh, the public. They truly, I don't think they see the glamour and they don't see the work that goes in it. I mean, we work, we work sometimes fourteen hours a day. We work in the play. I work in the places that. when I was when I was shooting Brothers, they would bring food for us in the heating pack. Um, so um, because we were up on the mountains, just imagine I would open the pack, I would eat the piece of chicken, I would reach out to take my fries, and they were frozen. It was that cold. You open your can of uh, can of soda, the can of soda you open it and the moment that you open everything bubbles out and it start freezing. So people they don't understand the amount of work that goes in it and what how hard we work to, to, to be to give them what, um, what they desire or give them that uh, create that uh, imaginary illusionary world for them that they, they can escape and we can teleport them into someplace else. Uh, So that's one of the misconceptions that the public has. And um, the other thing is that, um, to me, I think the truth about acting is that um, some of us, this is exactly what we were born to do. I mean, I cannot imagine myself doing anything else. And um, if you, if you are not, if you are not doing it, if you are not doing it for money, fame, and glamour, you will be very happy. You will be very satisfied. You will get what you, what you deserve, what you are supposed to get. And, um, that has been, that has been my journey.
0: I love that. That's so good. So <clears throat> one other question about acting, and I want to talk about the center as well too, but how often do you live in fantasy world? And I don't mean that as like a joke or I hope it's not taken offen- offensive, but we alluded to, you, you sort of talked about a little, you know, a little bit earlier in your journey, sort of playing through these fantasies in your head or living in those moments or being the star, you know, now that you've acted in so many different films and, and movies and shows and like, how often are you, is your just mental state in, in sort of fantasy imaginative world versus sort of the moment idea? Does that make sense? (laughs)
1: Um, I, I've talked about this with yes, yes, it makes sense. See, um, It's not about living in the fantasy world. It's about how you see it. Um, You, um, I do carvings. I walk outside. I see a piece of rock. I see something on the ground. And I see something in it. I take it. And whoever is with me and says, why are you taking trash? I said, no, this is not a trash. Let me finish with it. And then you will see what it is. And I have all my statues and all my carvings. It's from random stuff that I found on the street. And I saw something in it that nobody else could see. See, it's not that I'm living in the fantasy world. I just see different things. I just see different um, different perspective to life. And that's what it is. That's what I see.
0: Yeah, it's special. That's good stuff. Yeah. So. yeah. Is
1: it too noisy? Do you hear the noise from outside?
0: Oh no, you're okay. There's okay. Uh, if if it, if there's a lot of background noise, I'll let you know. But no, it's it's sure. all good. Um, I'd love for you just to share about the center and everything that you got going on. It's an amazing. I mean, just the high level of what I know about it and what you're doing. It's it's special and it's inspiring. But I'd love for you just to explain it a little bit.
1: Thank you. Well, um, because of my journey and what I've been through and uh, the struggle that I had, I always had a dream to, um, uh, to, to, have a, to have a safe place, have a place that I can go and feel safe and I can be myself uh, without, um, without being judged. Um, I remember the times, the days that I was sleeping on the, uh, on the park benches and just uh, uh, had no food. And um, this center is um it's kind of a is a safe haven for all the um for all the artists um what i'm creating is a is a living space a studio workspace for um for artists that they can come and um stay It's not a long-term residency is a pit stop it's for people who can who they just need a push they just need to recharge their battery. They can come over there. They can stay at the uh, at the house. I can house up to eight people. And then they can use the studio facility. And also what we are doing, we are also creating an ice cream coffee shop. So they can work there. They can generate some money. And they can be creative. And they can be themselves. It's just um, kind of giving back, giving giving to others what I wish I had and I didn't have it. Now I can create it and I can, um, I can provide them with the space. And, um, that's what we have been working on. I mean, I, um, I saw this piece of properties in Boyle Heights and the good thing about this place is that it's close to five schools. Even for the kids, I had some, I had some people who, uh, some professional people, actors, directors, uh, painters, that they came over there and said, "Oh my God, this is magnificent." When when it's done, then we can also set up classes for the kids because there there is no decent art program for in this neighborhood. And um, so uh, that's just uh, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying. That's what we are doing, and right now. Um, See, when I started, I spent, I did, I put all my money in it, and I never thought that I have to reach out for help because um, because I had jobs lined up and I was working. I was putting my money in there. I did Aladdin, all my money went into the center. I did Legion, all my money went into the center, and uh, then with this situation right now with the coronavirus and all those things, some of my jobs got canceled and the center is halfway down and we are stuck in the middle. We cannot, we cannot do anything with it. But, uh, the people, uh, have been very generous. They, I got donations, um, that are $5 or $15. And I know that they need that five or $15 more than I do. And some of these people, they were PAs or they were assistants, or they were people who were working on the set with me. And, um, and all of them are helping. This weekend, I had a I had a group of people who came from uh, who came from San Diego. We put over twenty eight hours in this center, and uh, and they donated a the time. Uh, a friend of mine, Mark, from uh, from San Diego, he brought the crew, and he paid for all the materials that we bought over the weekend for the center. And we almost finished two of the rooms, so it's been it's been good, it's been very good, and um, it's not it's not just about money. It's about uh, it's about people who are willing to donate their time, their expertise. Uh, uh, they can they can come and help, and if they can just just go and look at the campaign, I'm not asking for money. Just go look at it to see what we are doing. And then, if uh, if you're interested, just pitch in, come in, help. Because ultimately, this this center is not mine, is ours. So anybody can come and take advantage of it. I, I mean, I came, I came naked. I will leave naked. I'm not gonna take anything with me. Whatever is there is gonna stay. So, um, it's, it's something that anybody. Who can come in, explore, just be creative, be yourself. No matter, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what gender, what gender preferences, and what religion, it doesn't. I don't care. There is no prejudice in this center. And um, it's um, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I mean, every morning I get up. And the first thing that I see is that image of the center when everyone is running around and everybody is there, they are helping each other, they are, uh, they're creating. Even during the constructions, we had, we had artists, we had painters, we had photographers uh, that they came over there and they took advantage of the facility and they wanted to use it. I said, go ahead, use it, do whatever you want to do. And just imagine, we are doing the construction, and everybody set up a table. I have pictures. There are people from Denmark, from Germany, from Mexico, from Iran, from US. We are working in the house, and they have a table set outside. I have tea and coffee ready. They are sitting and they are drinking tea and coffee, and they are chit-chatting about their ideas, what they want to do, how they want to do the project. Um, it's going to be a good place. It's going to be good. It's going to be. I love a,
0: that. That's so, that's so special, and and that sort of transitions into my favorite question in the world. Um, obviously, one thing on uh, in like the show notes and and sort of in the in the ending ending notes as well too, I'll include like how people can reach out who want to either give or get involved or or be supportive as well too. And obviously, you know, something I'd like to at least consider as well too. So I, I think that's absolutely amazing. But my favorite question in the world is, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? And what is it that sort of drives who you are? And, you know, the questions related to what's next. And, and, and when you're thinking about in your life circumstances, you don't necessarily love to be in and you want to get onto something else. What is it for you that's sort of driven you throughout the course of your life and, and where you're at today? If, you know, that gets you out of bed in the morning.
1: What's next? What's next is what gets me out of the bed. What's uh, what else can I learn? I'm I'm like a little kid. I'm I'm like a sponge. Okay. Oh, but I'm oh, okay. I'm I'm very curious. I'm very curious about everything. I want to know. I want to know more. And I think um, I mean I sleep. It's crazy. I wouldn't recommend it. But I sleep maybe three hours a night. Uh, only three hours. Three or four hours a night. And um, it, for me, it's just um. Uh, Okay, but there's so many things out there that I'm I'm so excited about everything. I'm excited about uh, getting up. I'm just walking out and see how the weather is. I'm excited about, um, I'm excited about the things that I'm doing. I'm excited about the center. I'm, I'm literally, I wake up and I sit up and I close my eyes. It's this? beautiful colorful magnificent image in front of my eyes I see that things that the way that they will be so that excites me that gets me excited and I, I just keep going it, I this Center uh, it's um, I think when it's done I will be <laughs> probably I <will> be spending <laughs> 24-7 I will be there and uh, the, the – I, I have this – I don't even know how to describe it. I have this beautiful image that is that's covered in the parking lot. All these kids, they are running around. We have hopscotch. They are jumping. There are canvases hanging on the wall. Paint underneath the kids, they can come. On the way to school on the way back they can paint on these uh, on these canvases um, there are artists coming in and out they're collaborating with each other they're supporting each other um, they they're building it together they are together is a community is a, a place that everyone would feel everyone would feel welcome that's for me to be able to do that oh my god it's magnificent it is amazing and with the help of everyone I mean now I I I, when I was starting it got to the point that I I was literally I was I was done I was broke I said shit I'm losing the center there's nothing I can do and a friend of mine Salome she's also an actress Uh, she's Iranian uh, coming from UK and she's here and she came and she saw me and she said why don't you reach out why didn't you tell people what you're doing just tell them what you're doing let's see who's coming in maybe somebody is there who wants to help you and i i posted it and oh my gosh i have over 20,000 emails literally i can send you a picture i have 20,000 emails sitting on my email box and i cannot even i cannot even keep up with it <laughs> All these generous yeah. people that are supportive, they're saying, oh, somebody says, oh, if you need a fabric, I can send you a fabric. The other one says, if you, uh, if you need a design, I can I can finish your design. If you need um, equipment,s we have some old equipment we can send you. So it, it just, I, people reached out to me who I even forgot that I know them. People reached out to me from my past, from the time that I was in the camp, from the time that I was in the refugee camp, and these people—they were in the camp with me—they reached out to me. I saw this is great. Okay, so tell me, how can I help? It has been—it's been an amazing, amazing journey
0: that's so good that's so good it's it's inspiring as well just to hear how people want to help i mean people are when when they know and and somebody you know somebody's leading the charge like what you're doing people just flood in so that's that's so special yeah
1: two things two things i always remember one of um that my mom uh my grandma used to tell me okay this is funny i grew up with my great grandma my mom's grandma kind of raised me and i grew up with her stories because, um, because my mom was working, my dad was working, so I was, when I was at home, she was, the, she was my nanny. And um, she, she would always come and say, Mother June, das nadare? Which means, um, if, I, if it's a literary translation, is, my dear, one hand doesn't create any noise, has no noise. So if you want to clap, if you want to create noise, you need two hands in order to clap. It means alone is always difficult to create the noise. And then I was, I was trying to do something, and it was little by little, little by little. She would come and she would tell me, which means the vast ocean comes together from teeny tiny drops of water. You don't need to look at the ocean. Every individual drop is important. is as important as the ocean because that what creates the ocean. So if we all come together, I think nothing can stop us. If we join forces, we can do anything. Anything we want.
0: Now that, is a good way to wrap things up because that is so good. That is leaving me inspired. So, so thank you for that. Um, I want to, uh, obviously we'll include any, any show notes and, and links for you as well too, but Navid, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. This has been absolutely amazing.
1: You're amazing. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you so much for doing that.